Hello, and thanks for joining in. I'm Dana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we listen to understand how someone flips the record of their life from atheism to Christianity. Each podcast, we listen to the story of someone who was an atheist and became a Christian. Each journey is unique, filled with unusual twists and turns. The story we're going to listen to today certainly does not disappoint. It is as fascinating as anything you might imagine seeing, reading, or hearing about. Nikki contacted me after hearing my interview on Justin Brierley's unbelievable podcast and told me her incredible story. I thought it was too good not to share. As a Jew who didn't believe in God, who lived and immersed herself in an anti-God, very intellectual culture, Nikki was highly resistant to religious belief, particularly to Jesus, someone whom she adamantly did not believe in, nor anyone she ever wanted to believe in. But she experienced an unexpected, profound spiritual encounter with Jesus, that she immediately became open to the possibility that perhaps God existed after all, and that His name was Jesus. As someone who valued reason, Nikki set out on a diligent intellectual search to find out what was actually true. Whether or not a reality outside of the natural world actually exists, and that the person she met, Jesus, actually had good reason to exist based upon more than just her personal experience. I hope you'll come and listen to her extraordinary story with me. Well, thanks for joining us at the Side B Podcast, Nikki. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as we're getting started, so the listeners know a little bit about who you are, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, So my name is Nikki, and I live in Portland, Oregon. I work as a pastor's assistant at a local church, and um, I've lived in Portland since 2005, but I'm originally from the South. Originally from the South. Okay. Yeah, I don't hear a real strong Southern dialect as someone from Atlanta. (laughs) I can tell you've not lived here for a while. Um, So why why don't you take us back to the beginning of your childhood and let us know kind of where you grew up. What was it like there? Did you live in the Bible Belt? Did you live in uh, in Southern America? Tell us what that world was like. Was there any uh, sense of God in it, in your world? So, yeah, I grew up in um, Houston. Um, We moved there when I was four years old. And um, I knew that we were, I'm, I'm Jewish by birth. So, um, we were the, the, like the only Jewish family in the whole neighborhood. Uh, I was often the only Jewish kid at school, but we were unique in that my parents did not believe in God. They were atheists and that's how they raised me, but we would still go to synagogue. Um, but my first encounter with, uh, with Jesus was when I was seven years old and, um, that we were on the school bus and I was, um, about to get off the school bus and I was going down the stairs and this little girl came up to me and she had this angry look on her face. She was actually a friend of mine and she um, just yelled in my face, 
you killed Jesus. And she shoved me down the bus stairs. So I lay there stunned. I, I went home with tears and I had to ask my parents, well, who's Jesus and why did I kill him? I don't remember. I don't remember killing anyone. So it was at that point that I heard about Jesus and was told that he was a, he was a rabbi and that, um, he's not the Messiah, but, but these, um, most of the people that we live around, um, believe that he's like a savior, but that's not for us. That's for Jesus is for the Christians and, um, we have nothing to do with them. So that was, that was my experience of so, up. Yeah. Yeah. So that was your introduction to Jesus. Uh, yeah. So I would imagine, did that make you feel like an outsider? Uh, and yeah. with re- with regard to your culture, was it a was that girl? Unfortunately, was she representative of most of the people around you? Did you live around a lot of Christians? Did you ever experience any kind of Christianity apart from the girl who shoved you down the bus stairs? Um, I mean, every, they they were just my neighbors, so I didn't know any different. But I knew that um, we were different. Um, that you know, my, the teachings about Jesus were that that was for the goy, that was for everyone else. Um, I didn't understand because I was told there wasn't a God and we were going to synagogue and my dad acted like he was God, but he hated God. And so there wasn't any God. We still went to synagogue. It was all very confusing. Um, and then every, every year my brother and I would do like a Hanukkah presentation and my mom would make latkes, the potato pancakes and bring them to school. And I'd have to do this presentation and educate, you know, all the Christians um, about Hanukkah. Um, So it was, it was kind of weird growing up in the Bible belt as just like the one Jew, but apparently actually Houston has a large Jewish population, but we were not a part of it. So I was kind of isolated um, and I didn't really understand religion. Didn't make any sense to me. I would go to Hebrew, uh, Hebrew school and learn Hebrew. Um, I would go to synagogue and kind of say these prayers that were transliteration and not in English. They were just, they didn't had no, absolutely no meaning to me. I liked being in synagogue because there was a sense of community and I kind of felt safe. Um, especially when you're in a, a culture that is different than yours. Um, and then you have this one little group. So I liked that, but it didn't have a, you know, I'd hear other people talk about their faith and what faith should be. And that wasn't my experience. So I kind of didn't like, didn't like the whole religion thing. I would go to, um, with my friends to mass sometimes. And there was this sense of peace there that I didn't understand, but I knew it wasn't for me. That's what I told. I've been told it was, you know, Christianity and this whole Jesus thing really wasn't for me. So that's all I knew about it. Um, So as you were growing up, that must have been a bit confusing, participating in religious ritual and services, but not believing in a sense that it was more, I guess, community and part of your ethnicity, uh, part of your community in a sense that but but not believing yeah it was just tradition it was um something that we did and especially coming out of you know world war ii 
um, there's a strong sense of, you know, we're going to stick together as Jews. We've just gone through this horrible experience. We've lost a lot of our families. And so you kind of have a, an obligation to be Jewish, even if you don't believe that there is a God, or even if you want to be a Buddhist, you can still be, you still have to be Jewish first. That is your identity. Even though it doesn't make any sense, that's your identity. You can be an atheist Jew, just the, the Judaism itself is your identity but i didn't understand it was unmoored to from anything like uh scriptural i didn't really understand that part um we did do the feasts we did do passover we did do well hanukkah's not really a, technically a kingdom feast but we did do that so there, there was a kind of a semblance of um community and, and culturalism but it wasn't it wasn't connected to um who I now know God is. So it was really empty and, and devoid. And I, and I saw that in the lives of Christians around me too. So, you know, I was told that science was the answer and rationality was the answer and everything is, you know, observable and, and reality is no more than what we can see and, you know, experience and observe. So that became, uh, that took the place of my God. Um, and that's what I pursued. I was always just interested in knowing what was true. So um, that's how I grew up. I also had a, um, I was pretty ill growing up. I was born prematurely. And so I had a, a vestibular issue, which I would have severe attacks at least four times a year. And um, they, they were hell. I mean, I've, ha I've had it um, all my life until recently so um growing up with that and and not having a god was particularly challenging but um and i was told that i wasn't sick because it was a, a dizziness thing so it wasn't there was no treatment and my parents really didn't know what to do about it and so i grew up with like a sense of um a moral weakness i know that sounds funny from like an atheist perspective but um, because I wasn't able to function, I, I was, there was something wrong with me. I was morally weak because I couldn't, I couldn't quite, um, hold a job after graduate school. And, um, so it was all growing up was a little bit, a little bit challenging <laughs> compared to, um, a lot of people. So. Okay. Wow. It does sound like you grew up with some challenges for sure. Uh, in terms of trying to navigate your way, I, very admirably, though, in terms of really your pursuit of what you believed to be true, whether it was science, um, rationality. So obviously, then you believed that religion was not rational, not true in any sense. So I mean, talk with me about as you were growing up, obviously, through high school, college, graduate school, you were moving through this uh, period of your life, doing life on your own. Uh, but what did you perceive religion to be if it wasn't true or rational? The religion was an opiate for the masses. It was a crutch for the weak. It was something that people hung their hat on when the, there was nothing else to, to hang their hat on. They, they were uncomfortable with ambiguity. Of course, I in my intellect, I was so superior because I was okay with not knowing. And, um, that's it was just you know it, it did, belief had nothing to do with truth i mean i that never entered my mind that belief could have anything to do with truth i mean it, at least a faith belief would not have anything to do with truth so i never i i just saw it as um 
patently untrue. I, you know, I would hear the Bible stories of like a talking donkey and I would just laugh. I would, I worked in a children's bookstore at one point and they had um, the creationist books and I would be on the floor laughing. I would, I would mock and deride it. I would think I really did. Anyone who believed in any sort of God was, I thought that they were, you know, really dumb. Although I met some smart people. Um, the Jews were smart because, you know, they've been, you know, they, I guess it was genetic or something. So there was that sense of um, Jewish exceptionalism and superiority, which is um, no more than pride. But that's what I grew up. Um, the, the, the term chosen people, they were chosen by God. I thought that was silly. Um, but I just I couldn't see how any of it could be true. And I didn't understand why. Um, otherwise, smart people would, would believe in it other than it gave them a sense of comfort and the ability to deal with the unknown in a way that, you know, kind of structured their anxiety. I just thought in the end, it was a mental illness. I really did. I thought the belief in God was delusional and that someday science would come along and cure humanity of all of this insanity. So that's the way I looked at religion. And no, yes. And a very, I mean, according to your own worldview, that makes perfect sense. So mm-hmm. as you were, again, um, embracing your atheism as the rational way of thinking about the world, did you, I know you were dealing with your vestibular issues, illness of illness and, and frailty on your own part, but weren't able to do that, like you say, with the comfort of a, of a God but within your own atheistic worldview, did you look at the logical implications of your of your atheism in that, you know, in terms of what it meant for your life, practically speaking, in terms of whether it's meaning or purpose or human value or freedom to choose or your own consciousness and those kinds of things. Did, did you reflect on what atheism meant for you and your life in terms of, um, yes, it's logical implications. Um, not in an ultimate sense. I never really looked at the logical presuppositions of my blind faith in atheism, but I would say that, um, the farthest I ever got was that I was just going to be comfortable with the ambiguities that, 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 you know, it was just made um, in that way. I wasn't weak. So it was really more of a, a superiority thing that I took comfort in. Um, as far as like the logical end game of uh, reconciling that, you know, how I reconciled that there was meaning and purpose clearly, but ultimately there wasn't no, um, it, you know, I didn't think about it had to be logically consistent all the way through to be true, but, um, I just, you know, it was about really self-sufficiency. And so ultimately it didn't have to have meaning and purpose as long as it had meaning and purpose in the here and now. And then of course, when you die, you return to dust and it all goes back. So that's as far as I ever got. Um, I didn't need to have, um, anything beyond that. It was just you know, observable and, and provable that that was what made it comfortable for me. So, but I never got into the more the the deep philosophical things. And, and, and when I would have those conversations, you know, they were, 
I think I, I would just mock them and, and um, laugh at the people who wanted to push beyond that. So, so you had quite a, a resolute understanding of the world, of your own atheism. It just was, seems very pragmatic. It seems like this is the way the world was. Um, did you feel, it sounds like you had some intellectual superiority with that, um, some sense of existential satisfaction um, that you uh, were where you should be as a rational thinking person. Yes. Uh, did you find that your atheism or did you live among a community of atheists or was this um, like you said that you you live in Portland, you moved from the south to the northwest, where I presume that atheism is a bit more um, normal kind of way of thinking about things. Can you yeah. talk about the change of culture for you as you pursued your life as an adult, as an atheist? Um, yeah, I wanted to be around people. One of the reasons we chose Portland is because it was one of the most well-read towns and and um I was I, I was such a reader you know and so I like being around people that were um people of ideas and that like to um have deep discussions and were thoughtful about things so when I moved here um you know people had all different types of belief and so um finally I got to the point um where I realized that not not all of them could be true, but if we're making up our own idea of, you know, what's out there, maybe some of us are wrong. So that kind of occurred to me, but it didn't really, you know, it was like, well, how do we ever know which one is right? And um, so we're just going to make up what we think is objectively true. Um, but I was never really challenged on that, but it was, it was comfortable to me to be around people who had, you know, thoughts, they were just, you know, thoughts were really interesting. And so um, I was very comfortable here that escaping the Bible belt, which seemed like um, very fundamental and very restricting to me um, as a, you know, self, self identified um, intellectual atheist um, was when I was being told I was just wrong all the time it was it was very freeing to move to the pacific northwest so um but i got to a point where um my health struggles were getting worse i've always had severe um anxiety and depression um and as my health got got worse and worse i i um did reach out for help and i um began to have my beliefs challenged in a way because truth became very important like truth like knowing what was true what was actually true became central to my life at that point like you have to know you have to be if you're going to be honest if that's like a characteristic in your life that you want to pursue honesty then you have to know what truth is in order to tell it and so I got to the point where um I was told you have you have to um choose a higher power and um well as an atheist that's a really challenging thing right so how do you choose a higher higher something that's higher than you well i knew truth is is higher than me so i put on the altar of my life truth 
And then I also knew that energy was true, right? Because we can see it. There's light bulbs. And then love must be true. So those three things I kind of lifted up to a higher power and began to um, kind of deify those those characteristics. And that's probably when um, that door opened for me that I I just really wanted to know what was true in order to speak it because I wanted to have integrity in my life. So that was the first step <laughs> that I took, but it oh. wasn't like God. I mean, that wasn't, I never thought of like a, like God was a person or anything like that. That was. But the, just, there, yeah, but there was something in you that became open to another perspective or perhaps another view of reality, or like you say, the pursuit of truth above all else. And that's very admirable. Sometimes that's very difficult to do. We're going to quickly pause our story for a moment so that I can tell you a little bit about the C.S. Lewis Institute. For over 40 years, the Institute has been committed to developing wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ who will articulate, share, defend, and live their faith in personal and public life. Please consider making a donation to the C.S. Lewis Institute. To donate, go to our website at www.cslewisinstitute.org and click Donate. Thank you. Now let's get back to our story. I'm curious, during this time where you were becoming a little bit more open, did you meet any Christians or anyone of faith that tried to tell you, oh, I know a higher power? (laughs) Yes, I did. And her name is Mary. Um, She's my little angel. I came in one day just um, shaking and she grabbed onto my hand and has not let go she we called her bible thumping mary and here's this atheist and this bible thumper and we became friends you know there was just like this similar spirit that we had um you know because we can spot each other even if we're in a different field (laughs) like the wrong field um but she would just she told me about jesus and she said her pastor was jewish i'm like I would roll my eyes at her and think, lady, you're crazy because pastors aren't Jewish. But she said, no, no, you know, you know Jesus was a Jew. I'm like, well, that, yeah, I knew that. But towards the end, I really thought that Jesus was fictional. There was a, um, a, a DVD that had been passed around in Portland um, on the streets called Zeitgeist. And it, it, it posited that Jesus was probably made up or he was just a, kind of an embodiment of all these other different mythical gods or real gods, or I don't know. But in the end, I really believe that Jesus was probably fictional, um, probably completely fictional. And so when Mary started talking to me about her Jesus and how much she loved him, I thought, oh my gosh, this lady's nuts, but I really like her. So, but she would tell me she's praying for me and she's got her church praying for me. And I didn't know what to make of that I would just I would just tell her please don't please don't pray for me don't that's dumb so but she was the things she would say were true and um like morally true emotionally true and I didn't know what to do with that that was really challenging and there I was meeting more and more Christians who were like they seem really solid and they didn't seem crazy and they were talking about Jesus like I still couldn't, you know, I still couldn't go there. I was not having any of it. Um, So I did meet some and um, that, that wasn't 
that's that didn't move me very much other than to just kind of you know put things in me that said okay maybe they're maybe they're not completely nuts maybe there there's a truth in there somewhere maybe Jesus had some really good teachings and that's as far as I got with that well but I I suppose Mary's what Mary did for you is to break down some kind of stereotype about who you thought Christians were and that perhaps they're not as strange or irrational or whatever it is you had in your mind. She was they're, um, they're not as bad as I thought they were perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you get desperate enough, like, um, so Mary is a very salt of the earth person, not intellectual at all, but you know, um, God had, I didn't know it was God, but my heart was open. Like love was a very important virtue to me. Um, because I, I needed that connection. My family, um, I didn't have a really good family that I, I had connection with. And as I had been, I had been ill for 13 years at that point off and on in my my deathbed I'd been just like slowly dying and so I my friends had fallen away and so I needed that connection and you know when it's real I mean like on a human level you know when it's real um so that's what I was craving it didn't all the intellectual stuff kind of it didn't matter at that point so I think that's what happened I I hit a point where I was so desperate in my life that that I was just going to choose good people and um, Mary was was good and she was loving and she showed up and she would I mean, that's what spoke to me. So all the you know, I would try to engage her and like, well, it can't be true. She couldn't follow what I was saying. She didn't want to talk about quantum physics. So we just had a relationship that wasn't based on, you know, my, all the intellectual stuff that I would put up that I would have with my other friends. And my other friends just had kind of disappeared when I had been sick. Um, they were in it for just the discussions. And when my IQ started dropping because of the vestibular issue, and in, in the end, it was um, down to 85 at a functional IQ of 85. I wasn't discussing a lot of quantum physics. I wasn't discussing the nature of the universe and reality a whole lot. I was just laying in bed being sick. And so I needed someone like Mary to just kind of love me. And mm. that's really what spoke. That's what did it. I imagine that was very powerful. Yeah. But but again, I, I suppose the issue of truth, even though you weren't able to speak to Mary so much about quantum physics or the, the hard questions, um, she softened you in that way. But what happened, though, in terms of you still had a desire to know what was true? Talk to us a little bit about what happened next in your journey. So, I, yeah, I was sick. I had um, so I still had the vestibular thing. I got I was diagnosed with MS, I think, in 2008. Um, and then um, in the summer of 2017, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so. Um, I was put in the hospital and it was, it was strange. I had the sense of peace that I'd never had. And, and Mary visited me every day. She continued to tell me about her Jewish pastor and she, she bought me this Bible and she said her pastor wanted me to have it because it was um, written by a bunch of Jews. And I'm like, okay, lady, I'll take it. Um, Cause I didn't want to upset her. But here I am dying. And um, in the hospital, 
they they did another MRI and they said um, that I didn't have MS, which was that was I had never heard of anyone just having MS and then all of a sudden not having it. And they um, did a, a cat a CT a contrast CT scan. They diagnosed me with pancreatic cancer based on the lab work. And then the next day they go into biopsy it and there's nothing there. I didn't know what to think of that. I, they discharged me from the hospital and I didn't know that that had been the case. So 10 days later, and I, when I still don't get the results and I still think I have pancreatic cancer. Mary says, you probably need to call them to find out. I, I called the doctor and I said, so what are the results? I said, oh, we didn't find anything. I said, oh, good. So the biopsy was negative. And they said, no, there, was, there wasn't anything there. And that really shocked me because I'd seen the picture of the CT scan, contrast CT scan, and there, there was something there. I said, but there was a lump. They said, yeah, but it wasn't there when we went in. And I didn't really think about that was a miracle or anything. I just thought, I don't have pancreatic cancer. Yay, move on to the next thing. But the thing was, I was still, I was still declining. I was having transitory paralysis. My IQ was dropping. I wasn't able to function. Um, things I could do before um, were just not available. My, my intellect was being taken away. And so in November, November 11th, in two, so 2017, I, I go to bed and um, I have an encounter with the Lord. And, but, you know, had I wanted a God, the last God I would have chosen would have been Jesus. So I have, I know it's the Lord there. There's a golden light. Um, there, the, he gave me the symbol of the cross. I could see that. So it would be unmistakable. He was singing over me and those words Shekinah kept on ringing through my head. I wake up and, and I had been, so I had been asleep and I had, had woken up and had, had seen the Lord. Um, and then the next morning when I get up out of bed, I don't need the walker anymore. The word Shekinah is running through my head and out of my mouth comes like words that sound like scripture. And I don't know what to make of this. Um, so I had this experience. I call Mary. I said, maybe you should take me to church. Maybe I should thank Jesus. I think it was him, but I still, even though I had that experience, I'm like that I could be crazy. So let me, let me, I have to do the investigation, right? So if I'm a scientist, I ascribe to the scientific method. If I think scientifically, I have to put this to the test. And so I went through a very rigorous period of looking at the science, looking at the history, looking at the textual criticism, talking to people, looking at things that I never looked at. Um, the Lord was giving me logic proofs. I'd never studied logic. I'd never studied these things, but they were coming in whole. There were things that I knew that there was no way I could have known because I never studied them. I never formally studied logic or philosophy. And yet he was giving me things um, that I, there's no way I, I could have known unless it was him. Um, it's kind of like I had a library card to the universe and um, I used it as I did. I did. I would, you know, just ask these questions. And I, in the beginning, I wasn't, I didn't know who to ask them to. I said it was the universe. And then I knew it was the Lord at some point, but even as I went through the investigation, into science and into history, there was a majority part of me that did not want Jesus to be true. Like I did not, didn't want it to be true because then there are certain implications. At the same time though, I was, 
um, I was attending church and I was worshiping and um, I was studying scripture hard. I was studying the Torah. I was reading the New Testament and the Lord was putting it all together. I knew things that um, were pretty advanced theological concepts were just like I knew them. And um, I didn't have any explanation for that. People were seeing the writings I was, um, the Lord had given me. They were coming to the Lord, ex-pastors, atheists. Um, I mean, it was just kind of crazy. And I kind of liked Christianity because it was, um, it just opened up the world. It gave it color. It gave it dimension. Um, and the world began to make sense. When you see truth, things come in line. And I really like that. My political views, the, the day I went to bed had been... Um, very, very liberal. I do live in a, well, you guys know Portland, you've heard of it. It's a very liberal town. The morning I woke up, my views had changed. I became a political conservative overnight, never wanted that to happen. So what the Lord did with me was extremely dramatic. And um, I don't even, there's sometimes I just don't have words to, to put it into context. There aren't, you know, what it's just, a miracle. So that's how I got to Christianity. I, I had to have the Lord blast my eyes open, give me scripture supernaturally. And then I had to do the rigorous research. And then I came to see that it was true. So what an extraordinary story, a very supernatural story. It sounds like in many ways. So you came to believe that it was true, but there's a difference between just belief that something is true and actually willing to give your life to a person who is truth. Yes. So you obviously made that step towards uh, an embodied belief almost. Uh, yes, exactly. But it took, you know, that took a while. Um, he had opened my eyes and put the, the questions um, to seek out in my heart and give me that spirit of inquiry. And it, it was progressive after that. Like it wasn't a very clear vision of Jesus in the beginning. Um, it was more conceptual and the embodiment, like seeing him as a person. Um, it took time. It's only been three years, but um, you know, it took time for him to, to come into, into come out of um, the scripture into 3d form as my beloved. And um, yeah, that, that was, um, not immediate, but the, the eye opening was, and the Lord just removed whatever was blinding me. Um, and I truly believe that the, the reason that that was possible was because I had been seeking, I had truly been seeking truth. Um, I truly, I truly wanted to know what was true, but more than that, um, I needed something more. And it was like a, it was the morality of truth that I needed because I wanted to be a person of integrity who spoke truth, not just an, uh, an intellectual knowledge of it, but a heart knowledge of truth, which is um, different. That I, those are those are qualitatively different. Um, so, yes, and it, it strikes me as as you're telling your story that the three values that you honored or were pursuing the most before you met Jesus were truth, energy, and love. Mm -hmm. And 
it's not lost on me that the person of Christ came, you said, in golden rays of light, which is extraordinary energy, but yet he is the personification of both truth and love. So he came as the, again, the person, the embodiment of all of those things in which you had valued, but you had no place to put them. But then you found them in the person of Christ. And it sounds like he's just completely transformed you so that you are actually experiencing and knowing those things, knowing them intellectually, but experiencing them in your life and in your heart. Um, how, How would you say... I'm I'm curious about two things, really. One is, how has your life changed? And secondly, now that you still live in Portland, Oregon, (laughs) in a place that now you find yourself as an outsider again, but uh, in a different way, uh, describe for us what that is like. Well, I'm I'm not in my deathbed anymore. Praise the Lord and. I, you know, just like the disciples, when he, after he did communion, they're like, where are we going to go, Lord? Where am I going to go? I, ha- I had to find something to do. So I, I started working at a, at a church. Um, I didn't have any income when I started. I, they didn't pay me for two years, but praise the Lord. He's been faithful. And this year I started earning a salary. So I started doing that. I started um, working again after not having worked since 1999 because I had been so sick. Um I, you know, there's some, there's some sadness, of course, be, but, you know, the Lord says that, um, you know, if, if um, those who are not willing to leave house and, and father and mother are not worthy of me. And so my husband did leave um, my family. Um, most of them do not talk to me um, because they know that. Uh, I, I'm a follower of Yeshua. Um, so that's been, I, I've largely done this alone. My son, as I raised as a very good atheist, he will not talk to me. So there are, you know, there are these things that the Lord um, tells us about. And truth is truth. He is an embodiment of truth. He is my beloved. I'm going to follow him. And yeah, there are sacrifices, but he sacrificed himself for us. And I don't, I don't get to um, make up truth or, and change that. Um, I have to follow it. I, I was following it, was following, pursuing truth before I met Jesus. And that's, I'm still going to follow him. And it's my, I'm glad he's a person. Let me just tell you that when you walk alone and you have the Lord, um, it fills you. Um, and my life, even though I'm alone, even though I'm in Portland, um, I'm alone with my family. I, without my family, I mean, um, I am in a, a really good, um, spirit filled church with the word, um, that, that has kind of, um, embraced me. I'm literally at the center of the church now as the pastor's assistant, but, um, it's him. It's, it's the Lord that fills me. I, I have, time to study the word. I have time to worship him. I have time to pursue, you know, um, education and apologetics and, and do ministry. So he's filled my life. Um, so it, it is different, but 
he is worthy. I don't know what else to say. I think a lot of other um, Christians may look at it and say, wow, that's a big sacrifice. The Lord is worth it. And um, especially I know um, the joy of salvation. Every day I know the joy of my salvation because I know from whence I've come and that was hell. Literally being snatched from the jaws of death um, in in the midst of depression and anxiety, um, you know, suicidal often because of my vestibular issue and because of emotional scars from my past. I know what I've been given and I know what I've been saved from. And um, I am not, um, what's the word, uh, complacent about it. I am not complacent about my belief because um, of what he did for me and who, who the person of Christ is and re the reunification with the father and having the Holy spirit. So my life has dramatically changed and to know truth is the most glorious thing I can possibly imagine. So Portland can go, they can burn their flags and they can, they can ring cowbells in front of my house or whatever they're going to do. And that's fine. God bless them. They don't have the, um, they don't have the knowledge yet. And um, I have great compassion. And um, I just remember Jesus on the cross saying, father, forgive them. That's, that's my, my attitude towards Portland because they don't know. I've been given such a treasure and such a gift. And I'm so grateful that I have him in the midst of this. I can't even imagine going through the world now the way it is with COVID and the elections and fires burning this summer and riots going on. I mean, my goodness. So I've got a, a grounding in, in truth and I've got the peace of God and um, meaning and purpose. So yeah, it's great living here because in the middle of this darkness, they, they need the light and we're the light. I mean. I get to be the light. That's amazing. What a privilege. What a <laughs> privilege. I'd like to take a break from our story to tell you a, about a special evening coming up for the C.S. Lewis Institute. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Institute, it began 45 years ago in Washington, D.C. in the legacy of C.S. Lewis. Its mission is to develop wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. Despite all that the pandemic has brought us in the past year, we've seen the Institute grow in scope and impact. Part of that is because people around the world are looking for answers to questions that they may have never asked before COVID-19 shifted the ground beneath their feet. These uncertainties open the door for new ministry opportunities, and we are excited to share all that has happened and the ways you can join in. On Saturday evening, April 17th at 7.30 p.m., you'll have a chance to hear more about all of that, as well as listening to beloved speaker Stuart McAlpine, who is a teaching fellow and pastor in the Washington, D.C. area. You'll also hear from C.S. Lewis Institute fellows who have been challenged and changed through completing the discipleship program, as well as how you can support this ministry. You can attend in person in Virginia or tune in via live stream feed. For more information or to register, please go to www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash celebration 45. 
Now back to our story. And I, I'm, I'm thinking for some people listening, they may not understand how you can be Jewish and Christian at the same time. Can you just very briefly put the dots together for that? Well, if, Jew, if Jesus is not the Messiah of the Jews, he's the Messiah of no one. He came for the Jews first to reunite um, you know, the tribes and, he, and then to the rest of the world. So um, I am more Jewish now than I have ever been. <laughs> it's just such a joy. I, um, I study the Torah I, when, I, when I do Shabbat his presence and the, the being in the presence of the father is uh, profound, but um, Jesus is a, a Jewish man. And um, that, that just, I, if I had just been given the, the new Testament, it would not have made sense. I have to have Paul and his wisdom of the Torah and the Tanakh and, you know, the prophets and the writings, all of it in order to be complete. It, um, Jesus is the, is, completes he, he stands at the center of judaism and christianity he is the whole thing he is the embodiment of god the same god the god of you know the holy one of israel so um i that's what i would say i think that um christianity is beginning to wake up that those false divisions are being broken down that's what God wants. He wants us, you know, all united. There are no Jew or Gentile, male or female, none of it in the kingdom of God. So, um, yeah, he's breaking down those walls for hum- for all of humanity and reuniting us back to the original Adam in the garden before the fall. So that's what I would Wonderful. say. Thank you. Thank you for that, Nikki. As we're wrapping up, I wondered if there was someone listening who valued truth like you did and like you still do, what would you say to a curious skeptic or a seeker or someone who really does want to know what is true and what grounds love and what is light and what grounds even, like you say, you had a strong sense of morality, a strong sense of good and evil, and and you wanted to know what was true. Uh, what would you say to someone like that who is open to seeking truth? Yeah, so I think I think you do have to be humble and you do have to be open. I wasn't. Um, I never would have made it on my own. Like I, I admire atheists who actually have the humility to put their true bias aside and just seek after it. So if if you're truly seeking truth, then you do you have to approach it humbly because it's it is greater than you truth is always greater than you um put it on the altar of of deity in your life and seek it humbly ask questions follow it even where you don't um agree necessarily look at all the sources truly be unbiased don't don't weigh out don't disclude the um the bible because it can be treated like a theory um you just want to see where the evidence best fits. And if it best fits on scripture, then that's where the evidence leads. So that's what I would say. Um, there, there's a, there's a logic proof that the Lord had given me very early on, and it's called the absolute truth proof. It's very brief. 
um, and it's this, that all claims of religion are claims of absolute truth, including atheism. They describe the nature and reality, nature and function of reality. But absolute truth is exclusive. It excludes ev everything that isn't absolutely true. So that there are any differences in the claims of absolute truth, the differences between the claims of religion or atheism, that means that only one claim can be true. Um, now, if that's true, which it is, you have to, and that's just logic. Um, well, which, which claim? Well, God's going to make it easy. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not claiming to be just one way among many, nor is he claiming to be a truth among many truths. He's claiming to be the truth, the absolute truth. So if we're going to start looking at truth, you can use that claim and just say, okay, let me take this claim seriously because I value truth. Let me look at the historical evidence. Let me look at the, the, the evidence for the resurrection, unbiased. Follow the evidence. Look at the scientific um, sources and, and then make your own decision. And don't rule out people who, who are experts in the Bible because they're going to know it better than you, just like you would go to an expert in any field um, to to look at the information, you also want to consider the claims seriously. So seek truth, you know, knock and it will be open to you. Um, and the truth will set you free. That's what I would say. That's excellent. And again, you are speaking as a voice of wisdom and experience as a light in your own culture. If you were speaking to Christians now as someone are those who want to be light and in, in among those around them? Um, what would you say to the Christian who wants to be like a like a Mary in your life, or or even in a different way, um, a, addressing the issues, the intellectual issues, uh, with regard to truth, or or whatever you think, say stereotypes or anything that you want to say, what would you say to the Christian in terms of them being a better witness to a resistant world? Uh, fill yourself with God, get to know him, make sure you have a good relationship with the Lord, worship, read the word, take it seriously. It should come first. Secondly, um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to talk to atheists, you want to, you want to, lay a foundation. So um, one of the objections I had about Christianity that was, it was intellectually vacuous. Like I'd never met, like I would ask them why, why do you think it's true? And they would say, cause G Jesus something. And that did not, it's not very satisfying when you're an atheist. So if you really want to um, deal with atheists, you're going to have to do the hard work of, you know, learning their perspective, learning what they know and studying. So you want to do the preparation, which is work. Um, of course, you do that with a, a grounding in the gospel. You have to, no one's going to listen to you if you're shoving facts in your face, in their face, because it's disrespectful. Jesus gives us dignity. He comes from grace. He asks questions. He doesn't, um, he's not forceful with, with um, anything. So we want to, when we're preparing, um, just really embody Christ and treat the person in front of us as a person as Jesus would, despite their beliefs and build 
relationship. I would say that relationship is key. God is a relationship of three persons. He puts us in relationship when he was here. He had his disciples. You see him moving in relationship. That's how his he shares love. So um, like with Mary, the reason I even listened to her is because she had ministered to me in relationship. She had shown her love and proved that to be true. If we think that someone doesn't care about us, we're not going to listen to them no matter what I would say. No, no, no matter how good the argument is. Um, if there's not love, first Corinthians 13 there, you know, you're just going to be a noisy, noisy gong. So you have to ground it in true love for the person in front of you and true caring and then uh, prepare. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. That's beautiful. I am sitting here feeling so, uh, I guess blessed is the best word I can come up with to hear your story, just to have sat back and listened to the really extraordinary transformation in your life and how that happened. I mean, someone who is an atheist and so strongly against Christianity, an intellectual atheist who believed that nothing supernatural was real. And then you encountered this incredible supernatural reality in the person of Christ. But of course, at that point too, you, you had made a choice to be open to that coming into your life, to that person coming into your life, that truth, that love, that energy. And, and that speaks to all of us, really, that we all need to have an openness to truth, wherever that evidence leads, um, whether we're Christian or non-Christian or, or wherever, that, that should be our posture, one of humility. I mean, if, if, if we know anything as humans, we know that we're, we're very finite and we're very fallen, right? But God overcomes those. And like you say, I love what you said about the fact that he will show up if you are earnestly seeking. So thank you for your story, Nikki. It really is extremely powerful and such a privilege to have you on the podcast today. Bless you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for tuning into the Cybeak Podcast to hear Nikki's story. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at thesidebeepodcast at cslewisinstitute.org. If you enjoyed it, subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and social network. I would really appreciate it. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next podcast where we'll be seeing how someone else flips the record of their life.